Hey, fellow tennis nerds and everyone, it's another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. This one is a little bit different because Dennis and I decided uh, because there is no tennis really to talk about, like the last few tournaments where we played the last week. And so we have uh, some other topics to discuss, mainly our racket history and also a little bit about why Dennis is mainly playing paddle uh, now in the last few weeks, but it's a partly weather related, so don't be too angry with him. But uh, yeah, so how are you, Dennis, and how was Paddle yesterday? Uh, hi everyone. Hi Jonas. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna try. I'm just gonna try your name every time. It's a bit different. That was that was very <laughs> good. That was right, um, <laughs> that was local level. <laughs> good, good, good. I appreciate that. So uh, what I wanted to say when you said that we've got topics to discuss, that we can start with the weather, don't we? I absolutely love this game, and and it's quite it's quite fun to start something new from from. I wouldn't even call it from scratch because you know obviously with the tennis background, it's a it's a lot easier to to get into something which is. Uh, uh, rackets and balls related and, and hand-eye coordination is pretty much the same movement in many ways. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and to be in the beginning of, of something different is, is always good. What I wanted to say is yesterday, uh, one of my, my good friends, he thought after like two, uh, two tries in paddle that he mastered it because the first time he beat me, um, but it was, uh, I, I was, I was the only one who actually played before and I was with a squash player who didn't really know how to move around, but we will go into a lot more details, but yeah, um, I'm good. Thank you for the question. Um, I'm hoping that you're well as well. It's getting to the end of the year. Um, there's some WTA tournaments, which we can, if we really want to push it, we can talk about that, but I think your, your record uh, journey let's put it this way I'm, I'm quite curious about the e-zone is it still the e-zone 100 uh what's happening with that yeah i'll be playing a lot with the e-zone as, as my patrons and, and yeah some people that are following me know uh, i do like it still a lot uh, when playing i do have a some slight tinge of, of um, worry in the elbow uh, shoulder elbow so it's a little bit stiff the racket i think it's well dampened so i'm not sure I mean, if it's going to be a problem or not, but I'm trying now with different strings to see or different tensions to see if that can mitigate the issue because I like the racket pretty much from everywhere, I would say. And there are some things that are obviously not fantastic, but you can't get everything in one racket. So, yeah, I'm not 100% sure I have until the 31st of December, which is the deadline for me to to design a racket. We'll see how that works. Uh, But that's the aim. I'm playing a tournament next week if the weather permits. I mean, the weather here is very rainy. Uh, rain inspired at least today was so fine but it's generally feels like there's rain around the corner uh, a lot and uh, so that tournament might be yeah a little bit choppy we will see but uh, then i will i will try the e-zone i might try another racket and then we hopefully get some more information but that's a little bit about my my journey one thing before we get into more about rackets uh, which is also racket related is that uh, this girl alicia parks which is an american player uh, she won the WTA 125 in Andorra. She is using a, a pretty funny racket for, for people who might have noticed this. If you watch images from the tournament, she's playing with a Dunlop, but it's actually a Yonex. So it's an isometric head shape, but Dunlop has painted it as a control, the CX something, I mean, CX400 or whatever. So this you've seen it a few times, but it's not really common that a brand 
takes the racket and just paints it as their own. You know, that is quite rare. Usually it's painted as the latest model or something like that, but you don't see a completely different brand. Uh, Marat Safin did it in the past, also from Dunlop. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what they think about that, but it's it's clearly a Vico uh, Pro, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I wanted to say is that Tommy Haas did the same thing. Uh, mm with Dunlop as well. So I think there's a theme going uh, around here because um, I remembered when uh, Tommy Haas um, um, switched from head to Dunlop, which didn't really work out. Um, he was, all his life, he was using uh, a PP57A as, as I believe. So, uh, you know, he, he was he was pretty much a weird one to see that from a prestige paint job. He had the Dunlop um, stencil on his strings, so it was it was quite a funny one. Look, I think Dunlop makes good rackets. Like we we spoke about it, I I had a pretty deep insight on Dunlop this year. I I had a, a good good chat with them and and uh, almost got a job with them, uh, which didn't materialize. But anyway, apart from that, I I do rate them highly. It's just a strange one that they. Uh, they don't seem to to make a racket, which I mean, obviously they're not going to make an isometric head shape racket, but they could they could make something which is really similar to the V core. So uh, I always find it fascinating. What might have happened is that they were, I mean, we're we're sort of in the off season, and we know that we we spoke about it a few few episodes before uh, that um, in the off season there's there's a time for. Uh, for racket switches, for uh, for these uh, sponsors who who like endorse you differently, and you know with a with a different uh, setup and different racket. Um, funnily enough, I messaged Babala about a potential sponsorship for a, um, a friend of mine. Let's put it this way: they haven't came back, so uh, uh, Babala possibly do doesn't want to have a um, um, an ATP. Um, top within the top 200 player to be um, endorsing his gear, although he's actually playing with his with his racket at the moment. So it's a it's a strange one. Um, I always found it fascinating that before they actually um, uh, set it on court or something. Um, I mean, on on um, judicial court, that um, all the um, all the different brands have to say endorsed by rather than using the. Uh, the, the racket itself because it, it was pretty misleading and everyone was thinking that oh yeah I want to play with the Federer racket which is not the best obviously not the best uh, uh, example because Federer's um, RF97 is almost an exact same racket as what you can buy in the store uh, obviously possibly the the graphite is a bit different and all this and all that but um, you know Novak is I would say possibly the best example on that because Novak's racket is uh, a zillion and 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 even uh, a trillion uh, miles away from from what he's endorsing. So you know it, it's not even really close to a uh, uh, Speed Pro. Yeah, it, it, I, I found it always fascinating to to look at all these um, um, all these sponsor players and what they what they use and and what they um, um, actually you know, they have it in their bags and, and not just, um, not just the, uh, the paint job. Yeah. And the cosmetic issue is, is, uh, is there. And I think it's still misleading because that's I think the one, sorry, I, I, I do have to uh, apologize. I really didn't want to say paint job cosmetics. cosmetics yeah. Cosmetics. cosmetics. Uh, no, it's, 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 I guess more fair to the racket designers that actually put in the effort in, in not only like they actually think a lot about how the racket will look and it obviously doesn't appeal to everyone, but it's, it's the cosmetic is, is how they want it to be. Uh, put 
but I, it's still a misleading issue. I don't know if there's one way to, to sort it out. Like the best would be that they use the older model, but then if they can't buy the older model, they lose out on sales. And also the consumers probably will be a little bit depressed that they can't play with the same design as Novak, for example, or or anyone really. So I think it's a little bit tricky. I think for the, um, the GOATs, uh, the three guys that we can call goats in in some form, I think they should all have signature models. I think because there is such a big driver of the of the racket community, and then if you have to sell like Novak's very very uh, difficult racket, but it should still be available. Like uh, here's Novak signature and here's Novak light or something, you know. So like what they did with Federer, you know, they have the Federer autograph, not easy to use, pretty heavy. But you can still buy it. So if you want to play with it, you can play with it. That's up to you, you know, or hang it on the wall, whatever. Same with Rafa. Now Rafa gets his origin racket uh, shortly. So that will be very similar to what he's actually using. So that is good. Like they should have done that sooner, I think. I think it took took a while to get there uh, because that makes sense for the best players in the world. And and uh, what I just wanted to say is that Head is is an interesting one because Head has around uh, seven hundred sixty three different models. Yeah. So uh, they to you know just to put one signature uh, Nole um, or Nole um, racket in in and and you can buy it for three hundred and fifty quid. Yeah, no one's going to be able to play with it uh, apart from Novak Djokovic. But still, you could buy the eighteen nineteen. You could buy the whatever three hundred and seventy three swing weight racket. I don't know the exact numbers. You might you I don't know if, if you know it by heart. But uh, yeah, three six four. Because <laughs> I, I measured it yesterday. Because no, Novak is here. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. I which was the closest to it. What I would say was the blacked out frame. What Speed did, um, which was like the ten um, year anniversary or whatever. It was a fully blacked out golden sort of special limited edition, which which Novak uh, tended to use for quite long periods of time. But I was still a cosmetic, though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But what what I what I think is yeah, and absolutely like you know the 1820 is not an 1819. And and that could be that could be something which would definitely set a trend that like yes the top ten players use a frame which you can buy maybe it's just the the goats yeah maybe the goats would be a, a good idea but um, but yeah it, it it could be an interesting one to um, to to look at and and the um, yeah, Wilson. Well, I I, I kind of like Wilson's approach on that because I think uh, that they came up with the pro stocks as well that you could buy the Blade Pros and and uh, uh, what else was it Ultra Pro? Uh, yeah, they even have so the six one ninety five that you can. I mean, I, I think that's great. Like the the Pro Labs, they call it. Like it's uh, it's a good uh, idea. I I don't think they want to advertise it a, a lot. Uh, maybe because they want people to think that it's still like fine to to buy a regular blade that it's what most people use. Obviously the blade is still used by a lot of pros in different generations, customization and so on. So the blade is one of those rackets that if you want to get close to some pros rackets that the blade is one of the, the best ones, I think. And and uh, yeah, I think Wilson did the right thing. I think Hedge should have done that too. I think, you know, Babola is a little bit different because I think they, they have not, Bubble have never created like one of these specific pro models like Wilson did. Like H22 is a specific pro. H19, they were never like a retail version of, of those rackets that were just for the pros. And I think that is a little bit of a problem. And Head has many, many models that are 
I mean, heads are, are very um, accommodating to the pros, which I think is great. Yeah, so if you're a pro and you're higher rank, like if you you if you're 500, I I don't think you can ask for much. But if you're uh, you're 200, what to to you know Novak, you can at least hey maybe I, I would like to try this in a maybe more open string pattern, or can I try I like this racket, but I would like it to be slightly longer. You can get that tweak, and I completely understand that you have to satisfy the pros because they are your marketing as well. Like so, it makes sense to give them what they need to perform. Uh, so I think that part, I understand that it's difficult then to create, you can't create signature models for everyone. So, uh, it's, it's a tricky, tricky thing, but I, the less misleading yeah. it is, the better. Yeah. Well, what I also, it just sort of appeared to me that, um, that Wilson and, and had, they, they always had, um, a different setup for the pros, uh, with Babolat and Yonax, they are really close to what you can get actually in the store. So like, you know, the Babolat, uh, pro stocks, yeah, there might be a little bit softer. They might be a little bit different setup, but it, it's not a million miles away. And age 22 is a million miles away from a blade. I do get it. What you meant about the, the Wilson pro lab is that they haven't really advertised it obviously the tennis nerds do know about it that that you can buy it and and everything and and we spoke about it as well uh <clears throat> around a month ago that even the bowls are different so the bowls are different than what you can buy in the store than what they use on the tour but yeah i um i i 100 agree that the three goats should all have a signature model um and and i think Rafa's racket would still be the easiest to use out of the three uh, because of its, like, you know, in general as well, a, a Babola is a lot easier to use, I think, for a, a, an intermediate player than, than the Wilson or the Head. Um, yeah. And, um, and because, of, because of its free power, because of its, its uh, stiffness, because of the, the, <laughs> the proneness to a tennis elbow. But no, it, like, you know, all jokes aside, it is an easier racket to use just in general. So I think it would be quite nice to just have, you know, look, they can even put like a higher price tag because, you know, all these guys are absolutely ridiculously um, popular. Even Novak is, is ridiculously popular, to be fair. Not, he cannot be really compared to, to, to Federer, who's by far the most liked person ever in any of the sports, I would possibly say. But Rafa is, is not too far behind him, and uh, and and Novak is is still a really really appreciated, loved someone. But it's it's not not that straightforward, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, it's not that easy question, but I think that the less, like I said, the less misleading it is, the better. I think the more honesty you have in your business, I think you win in the end. That's always been my approach. Like the more honest you can be, the more you you gain trust with the consumer and then the consumer will respect you for that, even if that kind of hurts your bottom line because you make less money. Uh, obviously, money drives the, the world and drives this business this business decisions. Uh, so I think there's always like a lot of discussion going on, a lot of thought behind like, how can we do this in a good way without you know misleading too much? Or, I mean, there's also the thing with, like you said a few times is that, I mean, if you play with Novak's racket, which I've done in like my videos on YouTube, uh, and stuff is it's not easy to use like it's not like a forgiving racket but if you get a racket from some pros it's not bad like i measured dan evans racket the other day and it was quite uh, quite user-friendly in terms of swing weight but really heavy in terms of static weight so you, you you get different 
aspects depending on how the the pro likes their rackets some like them very heavy some like them relatively light so i i think for for most recreational club players it's just better to to buy what is sold in the store like a pure arrow or something and just be a bit mindful of the string and what works for their style like so that that's it's absolutely fine to play with a, a, a store-bought racket. These pro stocks are not magical. Like, I think people have this perception that it's, like, better everything, better materials. It's, it's not really, as far as I know. It's it's not... And I have a bunch of pro stocks. But over to, to your rackets and, and uh, what you've been... Because you've been a Babla user, I think, for most of your tennis playing life, right? And and so, how do you uh, pick your rackets? I mean, if you're a big server, so I think the serve has to always come first, no? It definitely doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. It should, it, it should possibly do, but you know, I, I feel like I can serve uh, because um, my technique is is pretty good. Um, I but you know, there's there's quite a few bits with it. So I, like when you're playing on 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 a on a surface where where I'm playing, which which is like um, sort of a carpet uh, slash astroturf, because um, those are the two two surfaces which I mostly play on. Um, it's uh yeah it's beneficial to have a big serve but obviously there's there's a lot lot of stuff going on so for me now it's 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 weird and and i was actually thinking about it that i was never that much um i was never really um a picky guy when it came to rackets it was it was a lot with so how like when when I started the whole thing when I was eighteen and I started to play on quite high level because um, during my junior years um, we couldn't actually go and and um, and start um, looking at looking at rackets and and um, um, I I didn't really know what I was using I was using something which I I, I it was an aluminium um head racket which i used for quite a bit and and i just thought that it was it was actually it was actually in a way i never actually thought about it but but it was uh, like the predecessor of uh of the speeds because it was black and white and i absolutely loved it i i absolutely loved it it was a rubbish racket i'm pretty sure that it was it was absolutely horrific i remember that i uh, unfortunately i'm a i'm a um a notorious racket breaker and i remember that when i was just like tossing it on the floor it deteriorated the top and it was almost like an isometric head shape, but yeah. I made it an isometric head shape. So, um, so yeah, but back to your original question, um, the tweener racket works for me in general. So I, I was, so when I was 19 and I, and I picked up the uh, pure drive four, it was my first racket, but why I picked it up, I think it was just, yeah, I've, I've heard good things about Babola. I knew that they're, uh, their um, natural gut strings were great, and I I I just like the looks of it. So that's that that was the first time because when I was young and I started off with uh, with this um, pink and and um, uh, purple Donne that was one of my first rackets. Then I had a Procon X. Um, then I had uh, this aluminium head, which I was really proud of. Uh, but in the meantime, I had like an old uh 600 prestige as well so and and i was i don't know 12 and rocking a 368 gram racket so it, it's quite funny because it like i i got 
uh, coaching when I was young, but but it was it was quite a funny one what they gave to you, and and no one really understood the whole uh, way uh, a racket works, and and it's good that now now people do understand it, and obviously um, kids can develop a lot quicker because they know what's happening, and um, and and that's that's great. But yeah, so when I when I picked up my pure drive, I was like, yeah, this is a great racket. And then then I absolutely fell in love with uh, with Andy Roddick, and I've seen his uh, his heavier uh, pure drive Roddicks, uh, which were three fifteen. And I started to play around with it. And and then um, when I started working in Wigmore Sports in downtown London, which is a uh, which is a great store, and and I and I uh, learned the basics of of like. Uh, if you go higher with the grams, you get more control. If you go lower, it's more power. And that's, you know, just what's the difference between 16, 19, 18, 20? Uh, what's the different swing weights do? Uh, what's the what's the different strings do? So, yeah, that was that was quite an eye-opener. Look, I had a great racket. You know, the, the Pure Drive Rodic is a good racket. I, I would still 100% pick it up and, and play with it if um, if I wouldn't be scared that my, my arms will fall off. But... I think my technique is really, it's sort of evolved with the racket. So I don't really get tennis elbow of the tweener frames. I, Pure Drive Roddick is, is still a really good frame. And, and uh, you know, I was so sad. I've, I've demolished so many of those frames. Um, and after it, when I was working in Wigmore Sports, I was like, yeah, I might, might be actually better with, a, with an um, XI, uh, E-Zone XI-98, because it's, you know, I, I was told that that Yonex frames are the best, and I know that they're really, really punctual in terms of like their gram still. Yeah, they might be with their swing weights. It's it's a bit up and down, but but they are still like usually around. If if a racket has to be three hundred or three hundred five, they usually are. Um, yeah, they're they're, so, they're the best. I would say. Like, I mean, the 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 problem is that they're all generally pretty bad, but Yonex is the best when it comes to quality assurance. I mean, Fisher used to be quite good they used to have the zero tolerance policy with their frames uh nice playing frames usually not, not the biggest sweet spot but very nice feeling on the on these rackets uh so i i think it was a costly thing for them to do this zero tolerance i thought they they would make more of a difference to the consumer than it actually did so in the end they they maybe couldn't sustain it maybe there was like a sponsorship issue it's hard to backtrack with rackets but pacific uh, pacific is is uh, was the company that bought the fisher um stock and the fisher molds and i think they they do okay but you don't see a lot of pacific rackets and i i have tested a bunch of the rackets last year and they're good like they're good right there's no reason that they're not out there selling but i think they solely try to focus on certain outlets and and yeah i did go their own way uh so and then it's not easy i mean to to fight with the big dragons of head bubble and, and wilson and yonix they're not it's not easy you know for even for technofiber who's who's doing okay i would say it's it's an interesting one that you brought up pacific because pacific was the first brand which uh which was sort of out of my spectrum back then um and we as wigmore sports we were the uh sole distributor of of the brand in the uk so obviously we had all the different uh, frames and 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 we were rocking their strings. Their strings are absolutely brilliant, by the way. So they yeah. are they're multi-filaments and and uh, polyesters are really really good. Um, and they do have a gut as well, and their gut is high quality. So so Pacific is a great brand. They still have that uh, one or two. I I, I don't think it's zero um, 
zero tolerance anymore with them, but it's just one minus one uh, plus one grams or something like that, which yeah. is still not really noticeable. So it, I think if if someone really notices like one or two grams, I don't a hundred percent agree with that. Some some tennis nerds might do. I never have. We actually uh, do this test, eat. and me and Nikki, because we have the swing weight machine where we see how uh, how good we are. <laughs> I don't, we don't do it every day, obviously, but it's like, you know, let, let's uh, take two frames, air swing them, and see if we can spot the swing weight. And we've both been like within, I would say, two three points on some occasions. But but it's easier with the swing weight because you're swinging the racket than 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 with the weight the weight is much more difficult and like i don't feel two grams i'm pretty sure uh swing weight i can feel a little bit more closely uh, but but the the grams no it's it's very difficult to, to feel like a few grams you do feel generally even if you're not like a super nerd or you have a swing weight machine you do feel when the weight is is located heavily in the head for example or in the handle like some most players even people who don't play a lot of tennis they will air swing a racket and be like Oh, this is light, or this some something is off. Like sometimes when the, all the weight is at twelve o'clock in the rack frame, uh, it's just like bad because then then the that's the issue with quality control. If you get all the weight at twelve, the swing weight might, might be way too high, and then the player has a bad impression of the racket when it might be a good racket, but it's just the quality control that really ruins it, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And and what what you've been saying about that the static weight is an interesting one, and I. And I think in, in many ways, that's why um, the, um, the big companies can get away with it because they don't really know what's going on. So, you know, you like, I think Wilson was absolutely horrific when I was, uh, when I was in, uh, in London working there because we, we sort of were playing around with it. And the 6195s, one, one came out 320, the other one was 343. Oh wow! Of the same of the same frame, so I don't really know how it came through quality control, but I think it's a lot more severe now the quality control than back in 2011. So, uh, so what I've heard is that they they are putting a little bit more emphasis, and that's down to the fact that there's guys like you and me who do actually talk about it online because they cannot really get away. It's like, look. 15 years ago, if, if there was any tennis nerd, I don't think there was, by the way, uh, or they, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't anyone who was, who was that interested in, in frames and, and um, like strings and, and, you know, different techniques and all that. Obviously, yeah. there was the tennis, rec, uh, tennis magazines and all that, but it, it, was, it was still not, not as nerdy as it is nowadays. I mean, I, I absolutely proud myself on all these questions. It's just crazy if you think about it that that you ask me a question about any of the rackets, I ask you a racket about any of the rackets, uh, any of the stock form, and we just know that we just know three or four instead of three or five. Let's say the old late ninety eight and that yeah. sort of thing, and that's and that's just silly. And and by the way, they weren't even close to three or four; they were like between three hundred and three hundred and ten grams somewhere. Yeah. So, but 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 again, that that's something which which not a lot of people know, and we we have to emphasize it. Ninety five percent of a tennis racket is made by hand, so so there are. And that's why the Japanese are really good with it, and and obviously the higher end uh, Yonex frames are still made in Japan, um, and that's why I like the smaller brands. Like and and we will 
possibly talk about it in next week's podcast, the micro brands, and that's that's going to be one topic which which uh, we uh, we wanted to talk about, like smaller sort of apparel brands, smaller racket brands. But I really wanted to bring up Angel because Angel is a brand who's uh, who's making really good rackets, and obviously, um, you know, they they came up with the with the really crazy what was that ASR uh, ASI ASI. Yeah, yeah, which which seemed um, uh, a strange sort of. Uh, I think idea, it was but... an interesting uh, idea. I think ideas and innovations are are always good, like that they they come out. But obviously, it, it might appeal to some and not to some. Uh, I just thought, like from my racket experience, that the swing weight was was too low. But overall, the racket plays nicely. Like when, once I added some weight to the hoop, where, where I got it to a, a spec that I, I enjoy. And uh, it was very different because it was like two uh, parts. So it was like a, a middle part, which was kind of plasticky and besides all the graphite carbon. So the idea was to make this injection molding, which is very expensive. That was done in the old classic Max 200G racket that was used by, you know, Steffi Graf and McEnroe. And so the idea was to kind of bring some of that back with a slightly lighter format. And that, that will make the racket heavy. Obviously, you don't want to make it maybe too static heavy, so you you he went lower on the swing weight. I am a guy that believes that swing weight is the most important metric of a racket because I think if you the swing weight is way too low, you don't get any power at all, like no penetration of the ball. If the swing weight is way too high, you can't swing the racket, but you get loads of power. So uh, the swing weight is very important that it stays within certain parameters, and, and that's probably what I would wish from the from the companies the most to have a swing weight assurance like okay this racket swing weight will be within this because i think most people even you know happy amateurs that don't know anything about rackets will feel the swing weight more than the weight so that is, that's my opinion but but in general they make nice rackets and like you said like they they're a small brand so they you can communicate directly with paul who's the founder and he can give you like, um, you know, three rackets of the same type of specs. So you get that kind of boutique service, which when you buy something from a big online retailer, unless you use their matching service, I know like the biggest retailers, they have some kind of matching service where, but it costs a bit. Uh, but then you can actually pick the specs, which I think is very important. I, I would actually recommend, I think it should be included. But I would say that that everyone should do that because then you can actually say, hey, okay, at least this is within the spec range and you don't have to worry. Uh, it takes a lot of the issues out of the equation, you know, because when I get rackets sent to me for demo, one of the, the disappointing things for me in, in my job is that I get rackets that are sent to a reviewer that are completely off spec, like from all brands. This is not only one brand or two brands. This is all brands. So why do you send a racket to someone who does this professionally, has all the machines, and is supposed to actually review this? And I always review things completely unbiased, which is the whole point. Because otherwise, what's the point if I was saying, oh, they are all great. These are all great rackets with top specs. You know, <laughs> I, who know would listen to me? So I, I review it as a consumer. And then I get a racket that is like 10, 15 swing, pain, swing weight points off. And it doesn't feel as good as it does to someone else. And then I will give a social review because obviously the, I'm reviewing the racket I received. I can only say that the specs were off. Otherwise, it felt pretty good. I can try to give some, some different perspective on it. But the end of the matter is that 
why don't you just check your, especially the review samples? Like, hey, this, and it's, it's not only to me this has happened. I have several friends that also are reviewers that it's happened to as well. It's like, why don't you just check, especially those rackets that are sent out to reviewers? Make sure those are on spec. Not to, to trick the audience, but to say, hey, we want you to get the average of what we're selling here. So you know exactly how this is, you know, how intended to be. Uh, but yeah, that that's a big mistake that they've done, and yeah, last it's happened several times this year, you know. So it's it's a little bit disappointing. It, it really is, and I and 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 you just you just said the the main thing as well that you you want something, you want an example of a racket which is spot on. So like you don't want a racket which is similar to a racket which you want to try. You want a racket which you want to try. So. I, I don't really get it because obviously someone sends it. There's a marketing person behind it who knows about it. There's, there's, a, there's a record specialist who knows about it. Come on, put a few grams on it. Or if you know that this will be just a stock sample. So obviously most of your records are not pro stocks, what they send out, what Head sends out, what Tennis Warehouse sends out. Uh, and Tennis Warehouse, I do get it. If you get samples from Tennis Warehouse, they're just going to send whatever they are. But if if a, a certain brand sends out a racket, be conscious that that guy is is going to give. And even and even when we when we spoke about Dakor, uh, he said that you have to be unbiased when 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 he sends out your racket. But he was at least spot on with his specs. So you know th that's the thing. Like he he was looking at the the small things, and and you you want to give a review on the actual product and not, not just, you know, a product from a brand because we all know how Head plays. We all know how Babolat plays. We all know how Wilson plays, but you want to, to review the new Blade or, or the new Extreme Tour or whatever. And, and that has a swing weight of, I don't know, a 320. So you want a racket which has a swing weight of 320. And if you want to play around it, you will play around it with it in terms of like you will add let tape on it if you want and and this and that so it's just a it's just a strange one yeah i i think it's it's a little bit weird uh so that's what i've seen a lot over the years and to get into the the racket history uh i i started like i came back to tennis quite uh, late as i've said in many of my videos uh, i was playing as a kid like you not at four which is early i i started at maybe seven eight uh which is also quite late these days but played for a few years played a lot of other sports um, and yeah, went with other sports. I mean, tennis was costly. We were not rich and the training sessions in my hometown was not very good. They were not very good to be honest. Like my coach, I, I, I don't want to give her shit, but it was not the most, you know, it was like kids running around like crazy and she had no passion for it. It seemed like, and I, I get it. Like some tennis coaches are, are it's obviously not the, the most fun job, especially when you have kids to deal with uh, on, on a, like a group basis. So that kind of put me off tennis, and but I always loved tennis. I always loved watching Grand Slams on Eurosport uh, when I grew up. I watched a lot of matches. Uh, I used to air swing old ladies in the stomach when I walked down the streets, uh, not on purpose, but I, I, I used to imagine myself being a tennis player. Uh, so I found myself back um, after coming back from the US when I studied yeah, university, and I came back, and then I was had some free time in the summer, started playing tennis with my, my father, my stepfather, and we both became completely nuts about the sport again. Like, And then racket 
nerding started because you you started to realize oh we we tried this racket ah that was a cheap start and then you get into the Wilson which was the six one ninety five encode which was my first real racket after coming back and that was just like wow this is a brilliant racket it just felt right you know uh, but obviously the racket shapes your your game and like you said you have the pure drive the raw dick big serve big weapon big power. I played with the 6195, started playing a lot of indoor tennis in Sweden. The weather is not so conductive to playing on clay. So you only play on clay maybe a few months, the summer months, and then you you play indoors. So it became more like flat-oriented, more get to the net, play flat tennis. And that's really what I'm I'm trying to shift away from a little bit. Now that I'm in Spain and it's a lot of clay court tennis, my knees complain that if I play too much on, on hard courts, it's not so great. So I'm trying to play more on clay, but you can't play like an indoor tennis game on clay. You're never going to have a lot of success because the margins are different. Uh, the, the ball comes at you differently. Uh, it's going to be some some weird bounces. The smaller head size of a racket, like a 95 Wilson, it, it's not going to be very forgiving. So you, you, you have, you're not playing against the elements a bit when you're playing with this uh, kind of small head size flat game. So you need to add topspin. You need to add forgiveness. And that's been like something I've been working on. And that's why I'm in this racket journey right now, because I was playing with the 6195 or the Prestige for quite a while. And both those rackets are, are been kind of steady in my game. But now I, I feel like in Spain and on clay, I need to find something that's a little bit more helpful. And that's that's where the journey is right now for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to just to come come away from the Yonex because um, I I I stopped my journey on the Yonex. Um, I one day it felt absolutely amazing because it's it was a it was a really soft frame, but it, I could still generate a lot of power. But I absolutely fell apart. So I when I decided that I will move away from that racket, I, I was uh, playing. Um, tournament almost every week i'm a i'm a two-time um, amateur national champion of hungary in doubles uh but i i was playing quite a lot so i mean i was uh, fourth on the uh, amateur rankings and i was in the top 100 in in the professional rankings um and how old were uh, you then by the way when was this so uh, i won my first um nationals in 2014 so I was 29 back then. And uh, I started actually playing the amateur because what we have as an amateur series back home is like you you could never actually be in the top 50 of the professional rankings in Hungary. Uh, and then you could play the uh, the amateurs. So um, I, I didn't know much about competing because that was the same story with me as it was with you. I, I played in the summers, but I haven't played in the winters because we were not too rich. So... You know, it was quite expensive to play uh, with a coach. And I have to give a, a special shout out to my uh, best man, best friend, Sobby, who we uh, who we played together every summer. And um, and, you know, we we he had a nasty tennis elbow. So, I mean, when I gave him my my old uh, pure drives, he absolutely killed it, it absolutely killed him. But to be fair, before that, he was playing with the pro step 90s. Ooh. So with the with the fetter ones, so you know, and I have to tell you, it's just like this funniest story because he has the 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 severest Western grip on his forehand. So it, it was like literally um, uh, Bruguera. Oh, uh, wow. or, uh, that's that's yeah. pretty. It's called so, a Hawaiian grip, like a Hawaiian grip. I think it's it's a yes. it's, you're, you're underneath the racket, like it's it's not yes. the most comfortable looking. To be fair. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and he had a great forehand, and he absolutely disappeared once he put down the the first F nineties. I mean, the first F nineties were the worst racket for his game. Um, he had a two handed backhand and this Hawaiian grip, and and after it, he was playing with this pro staff, and then uh, you know we didn't know what we were playing with. It looked like a good racket. You know, we we knew it was a high high end racket. So that's what well, was he a Federer fan? I must interrupt here because, like, the, I mean, the players sell rackets, and we get back to what, where we started a little bit. But it's like so many players bought the Pro Staff ninety. I mean, back then ninety was still within reach of what was available on the market, but still, it's insane that there were so many happy amateurs playing once a week or even fewer times a week that were playing with the with the, the pro staff 90 which i mean like if i pick it up today I, I i i'm a fed fan so i still have that racket in in the wardrobe but it's such a small sweet spot like it's beautiful when you play well and and but it, it's it's a nightmare to play with really like I, it, it's not for anyone i would say not even federer these days he wasn't even that's the weird part he he obviously loves federer and 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 i'm we, we spoke about it. I'm not the biggest fan, but I, I was never, but that's because that's, that's down to Roddick as well. Cause if, if, uh, if it wasn't down to Federer, Roddick would have finished with four or five grand slams. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough one to, to, uh, to digest that for me, but I don't know. I mean, I don't really remember how he ended up with those records. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we just got it somehow secondhand. He just got it somehow secondhand. And, you know, he was like the two records together were like 50 quid. So you were like, yeah, this is good. And this is like a high end, high end frame. So why don't we, why, why don't you play with it? I was playing with a few drives right back then. But then, um, then obviously when, uh, when, when those records started to, to give up and I remember he even had a major, I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tech the, the fiber. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first. Yes, exactly. Fiber. And yeah. And, and, and that was, that was, uh, one of those records, which, which he bought for something ridiculously cheap and, and sort of it disintegrated in his hand. And he was a lot better player when we were growing up, not a lot better. Like we had really good, like, you know, the grueling five hours, uh, um, in the middle of the day, like like you know, summer break, and we we went out on court and we could play um, five hours because um, no one was playing on on the courts uh, around uh, midday. So it was it was it was fun. And um, and after my uh, when I put down the 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 Yonex because I just realized that I'm <laughs> so the time when I put put down the Yonex, I hit in one because we, we played the champion sets, which was like uh, up to nine uh, one games and uh, there's a tie break at eight all. I hit something like, it was a close match as well and I hit something like 20 doubles. Oof. So what, what, <laughs> what, what you have to know about my serve, nowadays I hardly ever serve a double fault because uh, I just really worked on, on that part of my game and, and I can go on with like two, three sets without actually hitting the double and my second serve is pretty decent. So um, it was. It was more about that. Um, I remember. I, I I will never forget. But I had some some elbow issues, and 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 I just I just realized that this record is definitely not for me. So I I I uh, picked up, went back to 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 pure drives, and and I and I actually went back to the three hundred. Uh, but I just weighed it up. I always like the the leather base grip. I started playing leather base grip when I was in London, and I really loved it. And the first few times when I picked up the leather base grip and I put uh, I used the Yonex super grip um, as uh, as um, an over grip mm -hmm. and uh, and I remember the it's it's not a really padded grip obviously so 
with that in mind, um, I remember the first time when I used the, the leather, I had blood blisters all over my hand, like lich. <laughs> it was full of blood. But once you get used to it, once you get the calluses, it's it's a lot nicer feel. You, I think you you do have a video about it. So uh, why why you should be using or why you shouldn't be using uh, leather grip? It just gives a bit more feedback on the racket and it gives a bit more stability. It's uh, it's heavier as well, so it gives a bit more control. Feel the the racket handle like the bevels of their handle, and that's for some it feels harsh. And uh, like you said, you have to maybe build up some time and get the calluses. Some it still doesn't work. Like I, there are pros that play with and without. There's all kinds. Some players can't play with a synthetic grip because it creates more of a like a cushioning. So you don't really feel the racket handle edges. And then you, depending on your grip, it might be difficult to then when you change forehand, backhand grip or to continental grip, you, you will feel like you won't find it as easily. So so it's a personal taste, but it's quite common that you, that you like the leather, yeah. And just to just to wrap it up, uh, after my pure drive, I I, I just started to really like um, uh, team Domi team, and that's when the Project uh, One Seven came out. Oh, yeah. And the Project One Seven uh, was such a lovely looking racket that I was like, I have to try the strike. I knew that by then I was a tennis nerd. So by then I knew that it's what, what I needed in those rackets, but I was like, I really like um, Bowlets and why don't I just try the, the uh, Strike Generation 2? And to be fair, the 1619 Generation 2 is an unbelievably good racket. Uh, whoever I gave that racket to and one of my uh, ex-teammates, uh, still he is my teammate back home. Uh, he's a great tennis player. And we played many, many times together. We won many tournaments together. And and he picked that up. And he absolutely loved it. And my friend, Subby, who I was just talking about, he's playing with the Project 2 as well. Sorry, the Project 1.7 Generation 2 produced, right? And um, I I really liked it. And uh, I just put it down because I started working for Head. And obviously, Head uh, couldn't really uh, let me use, uh, use a babblet when I was the brand manager of Head. So, uh, and that's when, that's when everything went sideways because I'm not a head player. And uh, the only record which really worked for me was a, um, um, it was like a Prestige Pro mold, uh, mm -hmm. which was 1619. It was 310 and it, it actually had a 95 head size, but it was still within range. And, and it was quite a nice, um, it was a lovely feel. It was an absolutely stunning feel. So I think out of all the pro stocks, what you can get your hand on, the heads are pretty exceptional. Yeah. Um, in, in, in like I, I agree. I mean, I have to ask, what was it? What was the colorway? Was this a radical or was it a prestige? This was a prestige, uh, okay. but it was a, a prestige pro setup in a prestige MP paint job. So yeah, but it, but it was uh, was it the sixteen nineteen pattern you said? It was sixteen nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I I think those are underrated. The the prestigious that actually they used to be called the Prestige Pro. I now the Prestige Pro is something different because they changed the naming. But that that sixteen nineteen ninety five is more forgiving than you might think because the pattern makes a difference. And I I I remember those fondly as well. Uh, those two, because they give you a little bit more than the eighteen twenty, especially in like a bit more lift on your shots, which today I think you need. Like I even eighteen twenty, I struggle with them in an eight, in a ninety five today. Like it it doesn't you don't get enough really lift on the on your shots. So yeah, it makes sense. 
Absolutely. And to just wrap it up after head, uh, I had quite a few pro stocks from here and there and everywhere. And, uh, and I tried obviously every, every possible solution from head, none of them really worked. I mean, I was, I was playing the whole, um, I was there for a little bit over a year and, and, and I was trying all the different frames. Uh, I had, um, the that was one of the most ridiculous things that they came up with a high end record, the uh, speed MP, and they had the share holes in it. Ah, yeah, 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 I have strung that. Yeah, yeah, I've never played with it, but I've strung it. Yeah, I I played with, uh, and they were pro stocks as well, so they haven't changed the pro stocks. So, so, um, I, I got my hands on um, uh, pro stocks which were sent out to a junior player, and it was uh, like a shiny, uh, lacquered uh, paint, uh, sorry, cosmetic. But it was actually a pain job because it was lacquered. <laughs> so I could say that on that one. But, but yeah, I, I, uh, I remember that. And, uh, and they were horrific. They were so bad. I mean, I broke something like five of them because I just absolutely despised those frames. Um, and um, from head, I went to Prince. And, and um, you know, I, I, I mean, in the meantime, I went back to my, my trusted strikes and I absolutely loved them. But then I picked up the Beast, and it was so plush. It was such a lovely, lovely feel. The Beast 98, uh, Prince Beast 98. And since then, I I was trying to to get away from it because uh, you cannot really get it anymore. But um, but I uh, I tried the the um, Oport version as well, which I still like. There's not a massive difference between the two. I don't know if you tried the Oports. Have you tried the Oports? I haven't tried the Oport Beast. No, I, I mean they. I, I like Oport rackets in general. I think they, it's a good technology that works. Like the more string movement, the better comfort uh, overall. Uh, so I would have liked to try it. Uh, maybe one day I, I will. But it's like you said. It's it's for some reason that that racket went out of fashion for Prince uh, because. Uh, if you look at Prince, the last, I mean, I, I really like the rackets. I think the Techstreme Tours, especially like the older generations, are, are extremely good rackets. Um, the Phantoms are very nice. But I also think the Beast 98 was a great frame. And uh, I, I, it's a bit of a weird thing that they discontinued that line. I, I think that would have made sense to keep because I think as, I saw it a little bit everywhere, I would say. But have they discontinued it? Because it's not even, not with Prince... Prince has the weirdest, the weirdest racket line. Like literally they come out, it felt uh, it, during the summer when it was like springtime, it felt like every week they come up with a new racket. Like they came up with the Vortex, they came up with the, uh, uh, what was the black and white one, uh, which, the, which is the 1818 string pattern. Yeah, the Synergy 98. And, and they came up with all these different frames and you were like, what on earth is going on? And they have the um, uh, the collaboration with uh, with uh, hydrogen. So so those are all good frames. Um, and I was pretty excited because when uh, when uh, the new uh, tours came out uh, this year, we thought, and even my friend who who I was working uh, for when when he was the distributor of of Prince. Now he has a a store down in Marbella as well, by the way, who mm -hmm. you know about. He, he was saying that he reckons that it's going to be the beasts uh, which are coming out. And to be fair, if you think about it, the only sponsored player left on tour, Isner, is still playing with the beast main job. Yeah, yeah, he's still with the beast. Uh, I I don't know the the plan, what it might be. Um, I know Tim, who designs the rackets and creates the rackets. Very smart guy. Uh, 15, 16 more probably years of racket design. He's been on the podcast as well some time back. And I would love to hear from him. So maybe we can set up a podcast about it because 
I, I think they, what I liked about the newer rackets was that he wanted to try something completely out of the box with these 1818, 1421. I have one here in the, the locker here. And good sticks, but nothing maybe standout-ish. Uh, but I think to sell rackets and to make people understand what you're selling, you probably need to make it a little bit more logical. Like, hey, this is the line for for comfort. This is the line for uh, for power and spin and control and whatever. And I think that helps people a little bit. Like if you have too many lines like head, it gets a bit more. The lines are blurred, so you don't really know where you what you are going for. And if you have too few like Babla had for, you know, still have, like they, they don't have a control racket. Like they have the VS now, Pure Strike VS, but for a while there was nothing. So I think you need a little bit for everyone. Like, I mean, Yonix, they do it really well with the E-Zone V-Core and V-Core Pro. I think that covers pretty much everyone who wants a racket. You don't need more rackets than that. Like, in my opinion, you don't need more than, than three lines. Uh, and then you can have some different weight options and head size options in those lines. Um, what I wanted to say about Prince, because I really, really, really like them, by the way. So I think what they made with the beasts and and they came up with, so they have Quaron in their frames, which is one of the best materials what you can use. Because obviously all the old frames, what most of the pros are still using, they all have Quaron in it. And uh, the Techstream was some was a technology which is working miracles. And um and I mean, look, I I think they they made quite a few mistakes because they could have been still top three because their their technology is behind it. They're making one of the best rackets on the market still. You said it that you like Prince. I absolutely adore Prince. I think it's 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 a great frame. They are coming up with new things, which is great. Like, look, for example, the Vortex is actually quite a nice one. The Twist Power is an interesting one, um, and and they're apparently quite good frames i haven't tried either of those but nothing special as you said but at least they're trying something new because the o the the o ports did make a, a miracle and that is working a charm and um you know for me uh who's who's actually using both the uh, the the plain one the beast 98 and the the o3 uh because i had a, a half a year with the phantom um Oh my God, Phantom 305X. Yeah, yeah, you told the, me about um, that, the, the very flexible one, right? Yeah, 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 which, which, is, which is a really, really lovely frame. Like my backhand is a lot better. You know, my volleys, surprising, surprisingly, are a lot better um, with that frame. But my, my forehand was a bit on and off. And while that is my biggest weapon, you don't want your biggest weapon to, to disappear overnight. So um, yeah, and and I think the the for me the sixteen twenty string pattern which the beast has works a lot better than the um, for example the sixteen nineteen or the sixteen eighteen what the Phantom has. Yeah. So um, there might have been a bit too much sort of a, a string movement in those. So I went back to my my uh, well trusted uh, beast ninety eight and I'm and I'm start, still trying to figure out my string setup because what was working for me was um, I was using uh, uh, Elo Power in the mains and I I was using FXP uh, Power in the crosses in a one point three gauge which is a multi head um, and that was that was working really well and most of the multi filaments do work really well with the uh, with the Elo Power. So, uh, so that is something where you get a lot of stability, but you still get a lot of feel because of the cross strings. If you use the multi in the mains, it will last for like 20 minutes tops. Mm -hmm. So you don't yeah. want that. 
so yeah, I I do. So that's that's a, a long story of my 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 racket journey. But you know, I I think um, as as you are experiencing as well, it is really really vital. But for me, and that's what I said to most guys as well, who, who's asking me about my opinion and all this and that, is that once you pick up a racket, you sort of know what will work. But obviously, you still have to work on it. But once you hit with with something and it feels nice, try to stick to that one and try to to actually bond with that racket. So that's 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 what I feel about those. Yeah, I think so. I think that's generally the best advice. Like you, you, uh, if you have a good sensation, try to. Um, I, I mean, there is a huge risk of falling into the rabbit hole of, of racket testing. And I can give. I mean, obviously, I've been in that hole for for my whole whole tennis playing life, at least the second part of it. Partly, it's it's. I mean, it's my job now as well, so I, I do it partly because of that, and I also enjoy playing rackets. But sometimes, when you when you get settled with a racket, then then testing other rackets is a nuisance because you are moved away from your um, like you have a home now. So you're playing like with the same racket, you're playing well. Then you have like two rackets for review, and suddenly I have to start playing a bit differently because like every racket is different. So. Like you said about, uh, you played with the Rodic shaped your game. I played with the I played with an Encode shaped my game, and then when you start playing around too much, I need to definitely add a lot more topspin when I play with uh, an Extreme, for example, or an Arrow, and, and hit the swing it a bit differently. Nowadays I can do that, but it, it's not going to be as pretty as if I play with the way I, I want to play, kind of or the way I feel more natural. So, yeah, that can be a little bit of a trick, uh, and that's sometimes the you have to kind of resist the temptation to go and test 10 different rackets, maybe do four and that's it. Like I, I have an example. My father is now playing around with rackets because he's playing ITFs for 65 year olds. And he was going from his blade 98, which he had customized, which was too, I thought it was too heavy for him. And then he's going to lighter rackets and then he's going to a little bit heavier rackets, then a little bit lighter again. And now I gave him something similar to the Blades and the Fury Arma Pro, and and now he seems happy. So like the the solution was pretty much back home, but just a little bit less weight on them. So that's usually you can go in circles, kind of. But the Fury it, is good. Yeah, sorry. I, I mean, I I've, I've heard about it, and um, and I'm and I'm actually quite tempted to try. And and I think it was it was quite funny that um, most of the manufacturers, after everyone was following the tweener uh, train. And everyone was coming out with a tweener uh, after the pure drive. Everyone started, you know, competing on the tweener stage. Now everyone is trying to do a ninety-eight. All the yeah. like, and 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 that's and that's quite funny to see as well. That like, um, and that's why actually the beast works for me because it's ninety-eight, so I get a bit more control, but it's still a tweener frame. So that's 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 the interesting one. Although I know that the tweener is three hundred and a hundred uh, square inch head size, but it it still feels like because of the stiffness and because because how it reacts that that's that's the closest to it. Yeah, over sixty fives um, shouldn't really be playing with the Arma Pro, but <laughs> but you know he likes it, and that's the, like. I, I know how it is, and 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 I and I tried to give uh, quite a bit of advice to to everyone. Like for example, I I play with lovely gentlemen on on Thursday nights, and um, and I gave uh, one of them a um, vocal. What was that? Uh, the red one, which was a hundred square inch, uh, really nice frame. Is it the V eight something? I guess because I talked to vocal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's. But they made some good frames in the past, right? I really, really rate 
them highly. Um, I think they are actually really good frames, which, which, which is not really talked about because the C10 and the C10 Pro are obviously a historical frame, which, which has been around and, you know, Petr Korda uh, was playing pretty damn well with them. Fisher and Volkel, they were starting off with that, but then they went with uh, skis instead. And obviously Fisher sold it to Pacific and Volkel is trying to, to make a comeback. They make really good pedal rackets, which I've heard, sorry, pedal bats, as I was corrected on my, on my little piece. So Focal is, is actually a, um, a really high quality frame maker still. It's just that they're marketing and that's, that's where it goes wrong. And that's, that's, that's what I, that's, it sounds fairly simple. Buy a really good top 10 player, just buy him and then you will be sorted. You will get a lot of followers. You will get a lot of players who will try your record because someone who you like will play with that friend. I think that's a good point. I think the problem is sometimes that um, they might not have the budget for it because the player might need so much money to change. Like I think what Technifiber did with Iga Svantec was a huge steal, right? They managed to get a player who just won her Grand Slam with a Prince racket, which is also an excellent racket, the Techstream Tour 100, like just another example of great Prince rackets, uh, that they got her to change into a new model from Technifiber. And I mean, she's been playing well with that and won slams with that, so so no harm done. But it was obviously a risky move, so I, I'm sure she, they paid her a lot. But I'm also sure that it has benefited their bottom line quite a bit. So I agree with you in a way that without any visible players and like really like a, even if they're not top 10, someone with star quality, like some up and coming player, whether it's a Jack Draper or like, uh, you know, Leila Fernandez, Emma Raducano, someone who's, who can win big matches in the future, they might need to take that risk, like get some investor capital and, and take the chance and, and hopefully that player will will succeed the problem with sponsoring players and i talked to companies about this because i did work with sponsorships uh, in the past i mean we used to work where i work we used to have like ambassadors from the premier league you know primera division everything and uh, you work with these stars and the problem is some of them are very difficult to work with and some of them are getting injured so you don't see them as much you know so it's always a bit risky when you have to put like a big chunk of your budget on like a certain individual or team, and then then they have a really bad season because it's obviously based a little bit on on results. So uh, that's the only issue. But without having a player visible in that in the top fifty, even I don't think you can compete. Like there's no chance. Like you you I mean look at Head and Wilson, and they have uh, so many players. Like the Wilson Head, Bob and Yonex, they're all over the place on both tours. It's just like players are changing in between them. That's it, pretty much. Yeah, and and that's that's the interesting part. And yeah, I, I do I do agree on what you say about sponsorship. And and one thing which popped into my head was uh, Federer's Uniqlo sponsorship because when he when he actually signed with Uniqlo, he just played uh, two uh, no sorry one final, uh, which was the Wimbledon final, which he lost to from from to uh, two match points up. I mean, with Federer, you cannot really go wrong, right? So I mean, you know, the the three hundred. Uh, million dollars investment definitely paid off i mean they already made more of it although when we say this and i and i mentioned it before as well you cannot really buy his gear like what was the whole point of buying better getting quite nice looking stuff for him which which i like in Federer's stuff is that it's it's not over complicated it's 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 clean it's nice so i love that 
but like why do you why why did you why did you buy him if you don't want to get like that was the same with the um, verdict when he went to h and m um you could actually buy his stuff and and I tried it, and those were brilliant. I absolutely loved it i and they were really good quality for cheap the h and m tennis gear but but that's 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 what you see and now with the apparel, you do see more and more guys uh you know. For example, Fospicil comes into my head with uh, with Penguin, and there's there's a few guys who do use different uh, different brands uh, for um, like JJ Wolf with Grayson and 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 Uomo Sports, uh, who's um, who's uh, sponsoring um, Brooksby uh, and a few Americans. So and and obviously the Brian Bros and all this, but. But you and and you've seen, for example, and there's the last uh, example which I'm giving, uh, Travis Matthew uh, with uh, with Roddick, and you've seen the M and you didn't really know what it was, and Marty Fish then started wearing the same thing, and then then you know you you sort of, and those those sponsorship only are concerned about the states, which is quite an interesting one. But it, when I think about it, and and an even uh, more interesting one. When uh, Andy Murray's um, Under Armour shoes came out, I so wanted to get those, and they're not available for the public. And I'm like, why are you sponsoring someone? Why are you actually coming out with a shoe which looks good, which is definitely a really solid barricade-like shoe, and you, you're not selling it? What's the whole point? Like, why are you spending, I don't know, three, four million dollars a year for Andy Murray? when you cannot even buy his gear. Yeah, I agree. I think this is, uh, I don't know if it's like some politics in the internal organization or if they, I mean, obviously if you, you with with Federer and Rafa and all these big pros, Nike sold a ton of apparel. And uh, I mean, now you can't hardly buy Federer stuff. Rafa, you, people still buy, even some of it's not the best looking. You will still see people if you go to tournaments, like I was at the, the Stuttgart earlier this year in the Mercedes, oh, the Boss Open, and uh, you know the Rafa kit wasn't so appealing, and even up up close it looked like ah, what is this? And it's uh, 70, 80 euros, you know, for a top or whatever. It's like crazy, and people are buying it like this. Just goes off the shelves because it's Rafa, and people want to look like Rafa when they play tennis. So not to have you know Federer's pretty classy, simple apparel it's it's uh just holding the head I, I have no idea how that happened but it's, it would be interesting to hear the story from someone at uniqlo what what the plan was there because it's i'm sure like people watching federer they're not going to go to uniqlo and buy something else they they that that's not enough like they do oh there's a brand called uniqlo let's go there it's like h&m in asia like you said so you need to see what he wears and that looks stylish because it's Federer. He makes it look stylish. And then you buy it, right? So if you can't buy it, how do you even make any sales? Like, what is the brand value of it? I don't know. It seems very strange to me. Yeah, I, I think On does it well because On came out with quite a few shoes and we spoke about it and we are speaking about it every time. But they came out with uh, quite a few nice uh, Roger pros and, you know, obviously the uh, uh, the, the Roger sort of uh, just the the casual wear. And 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 you do see people uh, going around on in in these shoes, so so that is working. It's a high end product, which Uniqlo isn't. Uniqlo is like the Japanese age and am actually. So so it, it was it was a weird one, but but yeah, I mean you know sponsorship 
can work um, two ways. So it can definitely work in your favor, but you definitely can waste a lot of money for someone who's not who's who's not gonna ever make it. But yeah, that's 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 what I wanted to say about sponsorship. But we will talk about it next time anyway. In um, in terms of the micro brands and what they're trying to do. But what I can say about the rackets is and and focal is is actually uh, it was uh, Jean Julien Roger was the last one who actually did play with focal, um, and and I don't really remember anyone else. Uh, there were some ladies who played with them, but but you don't really see that. I I worked a little bit with Korea, yeah, it's Tolson, which I was which I was thinking about, and they. They tried lovely chap who does it, a Dutch fella called Erwin, who's uh, who's doing the um, the um, distribution in the EU. Yep, and uh, and and he is a charmer. He's such a lovely fella, and um, and they tried to sign Zvonareva when she was still okay-ish, like top hundred, and it never materialized. Uh, and and she's another uh, Prince user, by the way. She was using the uh, the Prince tour, the the O four ones, the Prince O three tour. They were called, and and it never materialized. And Tolson is another brand which is making really good strings, quite nice, um, uh, different, like you know, different stuff where you can buy like grips and and I don't know like dampers and all that. And their racket is actually. Okay, I mean, I, I tried the '97. It was Tolson Pro or whatever they, it was called, and it was mm-hmm. a nice frame. Yeah, yeah. No, I reviewed the Forty Love, which I which I thought was was the best one of the of the two. We'll definitely get into micro brands and um, and yeah, smaller brands making good stuff because it's something I've seen over the last couple of years that you get some new brands and and you're always skeptical because you think, okay, this is just like Alibaba rackets, and you put your lo- no logo on it. But some of them are actually some some love and passion and thought behind the rackets, and, and they actually play well. Then over time, you don't know how they will do. So will there be grommets? Will you be able to find, uh, you keep playing with this model? Uh, in some cases, I've heard there have been quality issues uh, and stuff like that. So that's something to get into for sure uh, next time we talk next week. Just just the last thing uh, before I let you go is that I wanted to talk about a little bit about my piece, what I've, I've written on my... Um, on my uh, evolution from yeah, tennis exactly. to paddle, which will not happen, by the way, because I'm always going to be a tennis player, but yeah. it's a great sport. And, and uh, I don't really think we'll do a podcast on paddle alone. We have some reviews already about paddle on uh, Tennis Nerd, and, and uh, Dennis is going to look into testing some more rackets. That is great help because I don't have time to play paddle. I play tennis mainly most of the time. I, I like playing paddle, I want to add, because it's a fun sport. It's not going to get the passion of tennis for me because I'm I'm kind of stuck in in tennis now, uh, but it's also something that I I think people should try because it's it's fun. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to quit tennis, and if you have like a not the best physical condition, whether it's injuries or something, it's also a little bit lighter on the body. You don't have to run from side to side, uh, and the courts are generally quite uh, quite good and comfortable to run on. And there is also I would say like the social element of four players, which is you always play doubles in case you haven't tried puddle. So I, I recommend you check out From Tennis to Puddle, which is on Tennis Nerd, it was published December 6th. So uh, check out Dennis' piece. And I'm very curious to hear more about his evolution in this uh, new, I wouldn't say it's a brand new sport, but the growth of this sport in Europe, you know, for you American listeners or outside Europe, 
is similar to pickleball in the US. So it, it's uh, what, what you have with pickleball, which is an insanely growing sport, which I've also tried and, and enjoyed, uh, is happening in Europe with paddle. It's, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's definitely fun. But for tennis players, it's always going to be tennis first. Oh, good tennis players. I have to, I have to add that there. Good tennis players. But I absolutely enjoy my time on a pedal court. And it's, and it's so much fun that it's, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting evolution. But I, I, I could talk about tennis all day. Uh, pedal is just growing on me. Yeah, it's great. And I think like the, the, the good take on it is that whatever you get enjoyment from exercise and so on, uh, enjoy that like play that uh, you can definitely play all disciplines we even have a sport i don't know if it exists worldwide i think so it's a small sport called racketlon where you play four different racket sports it's badminton it's uh, squash which is uh, indoors as well similar to to paddle in a way but singles tennis and table tennis so you play four sports you count the points tennis always ends the the game and uh, it just shows that people who like to play with a ball and a racket of some kind they usually like all those sports and it's similar for me i i enjoy playing all the racket sports i enjoy pickleball paddle tennis squash badminton i, I enjoy all of those i played table tennis in a, you know club competitions even uh, when i was younger but tennis has my heart but doesn't mean that the other sports should get a lot of love and uh, and it's always better to do sport than no sport Absolutely. And that's, that's, um, you know, always, always the best, best way to, to finish our uh, weekly podcast. Uh, thanks for listening as always and uh, give feedback on tennisnerd.net uh, or on your podcast platform if it allows for it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Ciao, ciao. See you later, guys.